0: Friends, I have to tell you, I am ridiculously excited about today's episode. Today, we're talking about renovations and real estate and how to get started renovating your house without totally destroying it in the process. (laughs) I'm so excited about this episode because over the last 10 or so years, I have fallen in love with all things real estate and interior design and making a house feel like a home. Now, while I'm not perfect at it, I've grown so much over the years and I love the process of thinking through a space and working on it until it feels functional and homey and just like I want it to. I also have to admit that I have watched a crazy amount of HGTV over the last handful of years. And so it seems only fitting that I've invited someone from my favorite TV network to walk us through this. Our guest for today's episode is Mina Starziak hawk Mina is a mom, a wife, a podcaster, and the owner of Two Chicks and a Hammer. While she's been renovating homes in Indianapolis since 2008, it wasn't until 2014 when she was approached to do it for TV. Now rolling into season eight of HGTV's Good Bones while running her brick and mortar store, Two Chicks District Co., she keeps plenty busy. In this episode Mina shares really practical tips on where to get started when renovating our houses, what to DIY, what to leave to a professional. She also tells us about her real estate journey and where to begin if we want to get into that ourselves. But in this episode Mina shares really practical tips on where to get started when renovating our own homes, what we can DIY and what we should definitely leave to a professional. And she also tells us about her real estate journey and where to begin if we want to get into that ourselves. Plus, she's just so fun. I cannot wait for you guys to meet her. But before we dive in, figuring out where we're gonna live and how we're gonna pay for it all is a really big life decision. And one of my favorite resources when I'm trying to make any big life decision is counseling. Friends, if you've been considering going to therapy but wondering where to find a good counselor or how to afford it, there is a resource I wanted to make sure to share with you. It's one of our amazing Girls' Night Podcast sponsors. It's Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a website where you can get matched up with a Christian counselor for professional online therapy sessions. This is truly the easiest and most affordable way to find a faith-based counselor. Now, you may have heard me talk about Faithful Counseling before, but just in case you haven't, I wanted to tell you four quick reasons why I love them so much. The first is that it's easy to get started. All you have to do is go to their website, fill out a form about yourself, what you're going through, and what you're looking for in a counselor, and within 24 hours, Faithful Counseling will connect you with a licensed, vetted, faith-based professional counselor. The second reason I love them is that it's super easy to schedule your sessions. Once you're connected to a therapist, you can start communicating with them in less than 24 hours. You can also log into your account at any time and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses back. You can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions, and the best part is you can do it all virtually. No commute, no awkward waiting room time, less time away from work. You can even do your sessions in your PJs, just saying. The third reason I love them is that it's easy to find the right counselor for you. In order for counseling to be truly beneficial, you need to find someone you really connect with. And oftentimes we don't find the right person on our first try. So then we're stuck going through the whole process of breaking up with our counselor, which is super awkward, and then starting from scratch to find a new one. But with Faithful Counseling, if you don't love your counselor or if you find that you're looking for something different, you can switch by clicking a button. It's easy and it's free. They really make it so easy to find the best fit possible. And then the last reason I love them so much is that it's so much easier to fit into your budget. While I love traditional in-person counseling, it can cost more than $100 per session, which just makes it a total no-go for so many of us. But Faithful Counseling is significantly less expensive and they have financial aid available. And if you sign up through the special link they gave me, you can get 10% off your first month. Friends, if therapy is something you've been considering or something you think might be helpful for you right now, head on over to stephaniemaywilson.com slash counseling. And that link will also give you 10% off your first month. Again, that's stephaniemaywilson.com slash counseling for all the info, and you can get 10% off your first month of counseling there too. Okay, you guys ready? Let's jump in with Mina. Friends, I am so excited for who you get to meet today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Mina, who you guys know I'm going to just guess. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to go ahead and guess that you guys already know Mina. So Mina, I'm so excited for us to get to know you and to hear more of your story. Can you, for for the like four women who don't know who you are, can you (laughs) tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about Yes.
1: Uh, So I... What I do now um, is... Most people know me because I have a show on HGTV. It's called Good Bones. And we are almost done filming season eight, which is crazy. Um, But I graduated from IU in 2007 and bought my first home then and did a lot of the renovation with my mom because my construction loan wasn't big enough. Uh, And then after that, we just we kind of kept doing it, but like as a, as a side project, not even a side hustle. Like we think this is fun. We'll do a house a year. Um, So started doing that. And then in like 2014, a production company like randomly found my Facebook page that I had made. So I thought, I was like, we need to be... Back up a second. I really wanted merch. That's how this all started. <laughs> I was like, we need to get sweatshirts with like our company name, which means we need to think of a company name, and we need like branded checks. and like, this will legitimize our business. So I came up with two chicks and a hammer, which is how like the name of the company was born. And yeah. um, gosh, I think I might have an old sweatshirt. My mom made the first logo on just like a word document, and it's like yeah. a baby chick, a baby chick, and a hammer, which uh-huh. does not look like- appropriate. It looks like a male part. You uh, are yes. So we updated yes. the logo, but so I made <laughs> do, a Facebook. Do you have page.
0: sweatshirts with that logo on it? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs>
1: They're so bad. It's like printed grainy because I think Mom probably printed them in her in her you know side room or something. But uh-huh. so that's how the company started, and that's why I made a Facebook page and um, a talent scout for one of the production companies. Stumbled upon our Facebook page completely by accident. And the rest is history. So we went from doing like one, one and a half houses a year to 10 to 15. Um, so that's what we do today. Not great. And sharing so the entire journey yes. with the entire world. Yes. Um, all I remember is your first question. So, <laughs> okay. So I okay. who you are. Um, and then what you do. You got that Fun okay. fact. Fun fact. Okay, so I did get a warning last night in your prep doc about having a fun fact, and yeah. one of the examples. I'm like, not cruel, guys. Like, no. I feel like that's like the
0: hardest question ever. So I'm like, hey, guys, fun fact question. Get ready.
1: Well, and if you can think about it, it's usually better instead of like, oh, well, I like to ride horses. Great, not a great story. Yeah. Um, but one of the example fun facts was a gal who would like Peter pants, I guess, um, uh-huh. like while speaking. Yeah. So, uh, which took me in a different fun fact direction. So (laughs) uh, I don't have a gallbladder and it does very... So what your gallbladder does is it breaks down fat you eat. Um, And if you don't have it, it's more like a slip and slide in there. So my fun fact is I have had to poop inappropriately uh, no less than six occasions um, or I would have pooped my pants. One of those occasions includes while on a morning stroll with my new infant son, uh, I had to like go under a pine tree because I was like, I'm going to poop my pants. Um, had to do it in a bag a couple times on projects. Oh uh, so uh, I have a, a pretty lengthy book of, of uh, close call stories with oh. no gallbladder. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. Oh, my, th- Thank you for explaining what the gallbladder does. I feel like anyone who's mm-hmm. listening that's like in the medical industry is like, yeah, I yes. totally know. And I'm well, sitting and, here like, I'm not if, sure. If, if,
1: uh, on my social media, like every once in a while, I'll post like funny stories or like throwback to like, hey guys, remember when I did this? And all the not gallbladder having, people are like, amen, I feel you. Same Zs. Oh my so. gosh. That is so, I, I love
0: everything about that. Um <laughs> It's. I, I just feel like you. I feel like having close call stories when it comes to anything bathroom related just mm-hmm. makes you like a
1: better person. Oh yeah, I totally. Yeah. Also, uh, recently, like six months ago, I was at the yeah. wedding studios with my friend. We did an episode on her place, and yeah. I. Uh, I have like my crossbody that I, I live with because I lose everything, and mm-hmm. I had unzipped it to get a tampon out. And, you know, gone to the bathroom, done that, and then like turned around and leaned over to put it in the trash can next to the toilet. And my entire crossbody fell out into the toilet as it was flushing. So I like, I I mean, both hands just into the toilet. I was like, no! And I caught like a lip gloss and a couple like uh, bills, like $20 bills, but my entire set of car keys went down it. And it's like to my old Suburban that's got a chip. And I was like, now I'm stuck in Carmel with no keys. And I don't know. And, and I've just shoved both my hands down a toilet and this is my life. So like, where do we go from
0: here? Which, which <laughs> of these problems do we tackle first? Yes. <laughs> so that's my fun yeah. fact. These are, yeah, these are the things that just make us just better humans. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. Anyone listening who has watched excessive amounts of HGTV, which I feel like is probably most of us, um, has walked away inspired, I think, to do one of two things. One is to make their... like Renovate their house or do house projects or change their house or paint something. um, But do something to change the look and the feel of their house. And then I think the second thing is to invest in real estate in some... Mm -hmm former fashion. Um, I feel like that's what every show is about. It's either here's how to make your space beautiful or here's how to make another space beautiful and then make that your job in some sort of way. I know that for both of these things, all of us probably know enough to make ourselves dangerous, (laughs) but not enough to actually really get started or do anything like that's gonna help us in the long run. Yeah. Um, And so I really wanna ask you... I have like some really specific questions about both of those things, about our own space, but then also about like, you know, what to do if we're Mm -hmm. wanting to start making this part of our job. Um, So let's start with our own space. If we are wanting to, if we're HGTV inspired and want to do a project in our own house, where is a a good place to start? And maybe the flip side of that is, was not a good place
1: to start. (laughs) So a, a couple things that I think will lay the groundwork for this portion of the conversation... Much like everything on social media, um HGTV is the high it's the highlight reel. so they have to to make it you know able for you to consume as a viewer. They have to take something that took me eight months and they have to decide how to edit down into forty two minutes after commercials. So if you got an hour show, it's actually forty two minutes. so there's not time for all the all the horrible things. you know, you want enough. <laughs> Like crazy things that you have a good commercial break moment, but there's so much in there that you know that you that you don't get to see uh, that makes it a lot harder and is more of a, a, a realistic picture of all the things that can go wrong. <laughs> um, so, but as far as with your house, what I always tell people anytime I'm doing a home show, I get asked this question a lot, and even when I started, this is what I did: do not mess with anything that can. Cause a fire or cause a flood. So inside the wall, plumbing and electrical, those things are dangerous if they're done wrong. When you get outside the wall, different story. If you're trying to change out the the light fixture above your vanity, that is totally manageable unless you have a very old house. And if you open it up and there's wires that look old then you probably want to call an electrician. Because, uh, for example, right now, my husband and I are turning. We have a quadplex and uh, someone moved out of a unit. So we're giving it a refresh to make it an Airbnb. The electrician was there yesterday. Um, and when he pulled out one of the, the outlets, the plugs, the wires behind it are very old. And when they're that old, they don't have a grounding wire, which doesn't need to make sense to to your viewers. But it's an important thing as a, like a precautionary measure that's just standard now, but that wasn't when this was built. So okay. I don't know enough about how to fix that to make it ground. So that I'm not going to do. Whereas my okay. new construction house that I built four years ago, I switched out a light switch for one of the dimmer switches Yeah, that I did. All the wires are there. If you look at the directions on the new switch, they line up with what the old hole looks like and you can <sighs> literally follow the directions. So those kind of things, again, depending on the age of your house, you can do. Switching out the faucet in your bathroom vanity or you know your sink faucet. Those things are manageable. And it's crazy how much you can learn watching videos online. I still do it. That's how the very first time I tiled my very first house in 2007. I read the directions on the tile. I read the directions on like the mortar. I read the directions on what kind of trial to use and which side of the trial to use because they have different size notches. And I watched some videos and I did it. So, so many things that if you want to, if you're like, I I can paint, I'm talking like, let's, let's up the ante a little bit from repainting my room. Those are some things that are super manageable. The only thing I always advise people to be okay with is really assess all the possible outcomes. So, I'm going to switch out this vanity light. I take the vanity light out. I see scary old wiring. Be prepared to have to not have a light there for a bit to spend the money to get an electrician there um, and get that put back together. So if you don't have 300 bucks to get an electrician out there and wire it the way it needs to be, don't mess with it to begin with. Um, (laughs) So really always think of the worst case scenario. And if you're cool with that, take a stab at it. Same thing with tiling. Like... I always recommend doing a smaller portion first if you're going to do your backsplash. Start in an area, you know, maybe to the left or the right of your stove where it's a small chunk. Start doing it. If it's going well, keep going. If you say, okay, I've read the directions, I've watched the videos, I've started this, and it's just not in my skill set, which it's just not for some people. Painting's not either. Then have enough money to replace that tile, um, to get a tile over there or be okay with it not being tiled and just take that tile off and use a scraping knife and scrape off the mortar you put on there and you know leave it looking a little funky or get a tile person in it. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I like to draw the line. Yeah, I that's, that's super helpful. I, I, that's really helpful. And that's like
0: the most practical explanation I've ever heard of like, if you open this up and it looks old, that's when you call someone or like, you know that you can do this because the directions look like the whole. Like, okay, these are things we can do. Yes. If we're wanting to make our house feel more like a home, um, so if this is like more for us or if we're wanting to add value Mm -hmm. to our homes, what are some good, like, you know, if you're looking at a house that does that isn't super visually appealing. Like builder grade. Yeah. Or like... Oh, just kind of like old, you know, like like dated. Uh What what are some projects where it's like, this will make a big difference? Yeah. Either for your experience or for the value of your home?
1: I think, um, I mean, as far as return on investment, kitchens and bathrooms all day is where you're actually going to potentially make money. So if you spend 10, you might actually add 15 in value. There's really nowhere else in your house that you can do that. So if you're looking for you know, return on investment, you're getting it ready to sell kitchens and bathrooms. Um, if you're still going to live in it for a while, but maybe want to set yourself up for success and just want it to get a refresh, think about the spaces you spend the most time. And kitchen is probably where you spend a significant amount of time and it overlaps with one of the areas that is going to give you return on your investment. So you kind of get a two for one there. And I guess what I see in a lot of the houses that there's nothing wrong with them, but they're just dated, is that like cherry wood cabinets or, you know, whatever blank, fill in the blank wood that you don't like anymore with old brass hardware. Those kind of things are projects you can do on your own. Um, You know, take the doors off the cabinets, sand everything nice and smooth. Again, you can watch YouTube videos. Um, There's like an additive you can put in paint that makes it a little bit more flowy. So you don't get streaks um, like roller marks or brush marks. And that's a good thing to use on cabinets. Uh, You can get a spray gun, like one of those handheld ones for like 50 bucks, and you're going to get a really nice smooth coat. So, you know, sanding your cabinet bases down, laying all your doors flat on a surface, giving them a good sand. The prep is really, really important. And it's the worst part. I always (laughs) want to skip it,
0: but you're going to get a better
1: product. So getting, you know, a fun, fresh coat of paint on your cabinets. um, And even if you can't do that, switching out the hardware, I think, makes a big difference. Um, Anything you're going to pull out old shiny brass and put matte black in, you're immediately going to have an updated feel. Um, So I think that's a really easy thing to do. Also, if you don't have a backsplash tile, you just have, you know, your countertop with maybe the standard four-inch backsplash, Mm -hmm. you can do two things. Um, They make... Actually, some really decent stick-on backsplash tile. Now, if you don't want to go crazy and try your hand at actual tile, there's some that you wouldn't tell, wouldn't be able to tell the difference unless you like touched it and got really close. Um, and that, all you really need is like you know a box cutter because you're going to score it where you need to. So you yeah. can install that above your four-inch backsplash, um, or if you want to take that backsplash off because it's not like an integral part of like a laminate countertop sometimes just curves up, you could mm-hmm. take that off and go all the way down to your counter and it would look a little less after the fact because you wouldn't have your, you know, your four-inch backsplash there. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, it, same kind of idea with your bathroom vanity. You could just give it a paint, um, a little bit of an update, usually changing out your light fixture in your mirror because those tend to get dated pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I think... A lot of us in our bathrooms tend to go a little trendier because it's a smaller space and it's easy things to switch out. So I think... And and then paint, obviously. You know, a nice fresh coat of, you know, alpaca is kind of one of my go-to Sherwin-Williams. Alabaster, they're both like nice, soft white grays. Um, That always just brightens up a room. And I would paint everything like... What's What you're seeing more now, which like we did at Charlotte Hall, if any of your viewers watched Risky Business, and we do in a lot of the episodes that are going to air in eight, is we do the walls and the ceiling all the same color. So you're not getting this stark white. Because if you go buy ceiling paint, it's not like, it's not called a color. It just comes white and it's less expensive. It's kind of like primer. Okay. Um, but we do everything the same color. And even our trim probably about half the time we do the same color. So it gets you this really kind of like modern feel because everything's monochromatic, but you got the texture of the cool trim, the texture of the door, and then the different sheen because your wall paint's probably going to be a satin and your trim and door paint is probably going to be either a semi-gloss or a high gloss. And again, that just makes it kind of like easy on the eyes. There's not these lines that are breaking your space up.
0: Yeah, I just, we were just talking
1: about this. I just
0: painted my office to only two walls. A uh, super dark green because that's I've wanted it forever, and I only did two because I I told my husband I was only going to do one, and he helped me with one because he's like meticulous. He's yeah. so good. At, he's like one of those people that's good at everything, and so he gets like there's not a drop of paint anywhere there shouldn't be paint, and so he helped me with one wall, and I was like okay I'm just going to finish the second coat, and then I started on wall number two because I was like I totally want this whole thing done, yeah. um, and I got paint like all kinds of places it shouldn't be. <laughs> I did tape. I did tape, but I still got a little bit on the ceiling. Yeah. Um. But that was one of the things that we were talking about. Is like, do we do the trim? Do we do the ceiling? And we didn't. But it it doesn't feel as like as warm and cozy and moody because there are these white
1: like strings everywhere. Trim yeah.
0: Ceiling. Yeah. How do you decide? This is so specific. Thanks everybody for for coming to this. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie needs help talk. Um. <laughs> what, how do you decide to like where to stop on the door?
1: Um. So we oftentimes do a different color on the outside than we do on the inside because usually our direction to our painters will give them a list and it's public spaces are color A and it's usually something like an alabaster white and then bedrooms and bathrooms are color B. Um, That's something a little bit more, a more saturated version of that or like the green you have on your walls. So, we'll do the inside, like the like I'm in my little cube. The inside of this door would be that dark green. And then the edge that's actually that you don't see when the door is closed, we usually do that the outside color. Um, okay. you could you could really go either way, but that's kind of where where we that's end up stopping, okay. but okay, yeah, okay, okay. This is so helpful. One of the things that I think gets
0: trips all of us up is the fact that there are so many small decisions that go into any project. And even like Mm -hmm. you're talking about paint colors. I'm so glad that you said a couple Sherwin-Williams colors that you like. Because when I was trying to pick this green, I'm like all over Pinterest. And there are even just if you pick a company, there are still a bazillion shades. And so, but it's like that with everything. and, And that's usually where I get tripped up. Like we've lived in our house for or probably a year and a half, and we mm-hmm. still have like barely anything hung on the walls because. I'm the same way. <laughs> Commit anything like ah? Uh, how do people do it? And how do you make like? How do you make decisions that you're, gonna be happy about? Like, I don't know. Where's the risk think, low? So just pick something. I mean, like, a
1: very uh, like a very concrete piece of advice if you are. Not sure. So let's take your office for example, and you really like this green, but you guys might sell your house in the next year or two. Like, mm-hmm. if you have uh, like one of the full paint books, the darker color, the more saturated is always on the end. So if you're like, I really like this, but just go down halfway, or you know, towards the other end, then you're going to get a less saturated version of that color. It's just a little safer. You're probably still going to like it, but it's that it's that same color like vibe, just a softer version of it. Yeah. Um, and you can order like you can get that whole Sherwin Williams deck, and I find that is easier than going to you know the hardware store and there's all the chips on the wall because you do you have you know Bear Sherwin Williams HGTV I mean there's so many different options. And there's going to be a significant amount of overlap, so but it's, it's kind of distracting. And if you have the paint fan, it's laid out in this way that really makes sense. And it's like, okay, this is the chunk. These are the 10 pages I want to be in between. And then you can kind of whittle it down that way. And it's just functionally, for me, feels a lot more manageable than looking yeah. at this massive 30-foot wall of chips. Truly. Well, and
0: you get to have it at home. And yes. that's such a big thing. Like we always come home with like stacks and stacks. Yes. Uh, like, yeah, like, keep
1: one at home. Like put it next to your countertop if you're going to paint your cabinets. Put it next to, you know, this is our favorite piece of furniture and we need to make sure it goes with it or, you know, a throw blanket, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's
0: really helpful for paint. Like, is there any, anything else that you've learned like gets you over the hump of of overwhelm when it comes to making a decision about something?
1: Uh, I mean, I I realize that not a lot of people actually use this saying, because I said it like a couple of weeks ago and they're like, huh? But it's kind of double-edged because obviously there's a lot of decisions that rely on other ones. So you kind of have to make them in tandem. So try to make the biggest one. And by biggest, usually a safe, it's not like, how what do I feel is the biggest? Like visually, What is the biggest thing I'm changing right now? So if you're in your kitchen, uh, the biggest thing, I'm going to repaint my cabinets. So start there, pick maybe three paint colors you love. That's going to be the biggest visual thing. If you're redoing your backsplash, that would be the next biggest visual thing. Take your paint chips or your paint whole thing, go to the tile shop and pick out what you want. If you're not doing your backsplash, you're just leaving that as is, you know, you skip that step. The next things that are going to dry your eye, it's probably your faucet and your cabinet poles. So then go to those. And you know, same thing in your bathroom, same thing if you're repainting your living room, um, if flooring is part of the equation, because there are more paint options than there are flooring options, despite the fact that there are a million flooring options, um those two are almost equally visually heavy in the space. I recommend picking the floor, or the tile first, and then going on to your paint. But really trying to break it down that way, I think helps it feel a little less overwhelming.
0: That is so helpful because I think that like, it it really is, it's like decision fatigue, you know? It's like you're looking at all of these different things and you're treating these, you're trying to make the decisions at the same time of what color to do and what cabinet pulls to do. Cabinet pulls are like, if you get like the nicest ones, they're like, what, 20 bucks? They're usually like,
1: yeah, Six I mean, you can get a contractor right? pack. If you're buying an individual one, you're going to pay anywhere between like three and if they're real fancy, $25 a pole. Yes. But. So, But it's still, but
0: like that's still a smaller decision than like what flooring you're going to do. But we're treating it yes. equally. We're trying to make it at the same time. We're trying to like match it back and forth. But I love the idea of being like, we're going to go with this dove gray for our yeah. cabinets. Therefore, which poles match? That like, did yeah. the dominoes start to fall? And also thinking about
1: the permanency of the decision is, I think, relevant in the decision-making process. So, you know, you repaint your kitchen's uh, cabinets a nice dove gray and you're kind of glam and you want to go kind of big. So, the faucet may be a little safer and do like a matte black, but you can really work out that glam need in the cabinet pulls because that is very easy to switch out. So my house, um, I started with crystal knobs. They're like faceted crystal, like very blingy, very girly. And I was like, I love these. These are great. Um, and I think I kept them on for like a year and a half. And then, you know, if you want to go to Matte Black, if you want to go to, you know, brushed gold. Yeah. So thinking about the permanency of the decision, I think needs to be part of the equation in the selection. A lot of things are very trendy. So, thinking about, you know, if you're going to do a flooring or a tile on the floor, I try to go with things that are going to be a little more timeless. That's why I use a lot of Carrera marble because it's never gone out of style. Like ancient buildings are built out of Carrera marble. (laughs) Whereas my, you know, my, my bathroom and our guest room, I went with that, like, I can't even, you know, the shape that's like the, kind of geometric flower that was really Uh big in the octagon shape a while ago. Yep. Like, that's not that cool anymore. And that's kind of hard to switch out. Yeah. So, going for, um, well, not a pattern, but going for uh, something that's classic and maybe a fun shape, like do a Carrera marble in an eight-inch octagon or, you know, the two-inch octagon. It's going to be more timeless than something highly patterned. And it's a thing that's not necessarily terribly easy to undo like cabinet pulls. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if, if anyone's listening that gets
0: intimidated by this stuff. That's me. But you guys, cabinet pulls actually are as easy as Mina says. Like I'm not constructionally gifted at all. But like really, if you can hold a screwdriver in your hand, you like open the cabinet, put the screwdriver in the screw and you just twist it. And then the whole thing comes off. There's like three pieces. Well, depending on what kind? There it might is. be, yeah. There a like,
1: screw, a, hang, a thing, and a little. What's the little disc? My brain is broken. A washer. Washer. Thank oh, yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, A plus for today. It's, but it really is that easy. Like it takes five minutes to do the first one and thirty seconds to do all the rest, and then it like
1: it's and done. And you can and it get. Is really cheap. I mean, they probably make cabinet screws that look like a a pile of poo, like. I mean literally like they they make they make everything. You could get crystal, you could get birds, you could get butterflies. You can get matte black, brushed gold in every shape you could think of. They yeah. have um like anthropology. Go to anthropology's website and look at their polls and then find dupes on Amazon because their polls are like 20 bucks a pop. Yeah. But they're so cool. They'll be like, you know, a circle of Carrara marble with a gold piece of metal through it. I mean, you can do so much with them now. Um, yeah. like that if you know you're you're feeling butterflies this week, put butterfly poles on. And then you can change you literally can change it basically as fast as you can change like earrings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies, and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use this directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our Girls' Night. We love having you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner?
1: Check.
0: just so gifted with design and hosting and just everything. And so basically, I just copy her just as often as possible. Um, But she, one of her tricks is like, she gets, you know, when it comes to furniture, when it comes to, you know, big things on the walls, she goes really neutral, but then she switches, she will get really fun, like pillow covers and yeah, frills and and flowers and, you know, just different things. Um, And she Mm -hmm. usually gets them from like, Home goods or yeah, I mean, it's like it's Hobby always homegoods. Hobby, yeah. yes. Joanne, so she, she switches that stuff out seasonally, and it's like, oh, this is so fun. She's like, well, that was like you know on clearance at home Goods, but mm-hmm. she got the really nice couch for it to sit on, and so that way she's like yes. the the big to small thing, and then changing out, changing out things that are easy to change. Yeah, it changing just out so, the littles. Yeah, it makes it so much less overwhelming. Like you mm-hmm. can okay. So, I I don't have to make the perfect decision for that. I can just make
1: whatever I feel like. Yeah, you can make whatever you feel like because it's a little thing. And if so, the idea is if you remove all the littles from your house, that anyone could see themselves in it. Like that's kind of the thing to think about. That's how we design our houses, that's how we stage our houses. So, we definitely have all the layers of the littles. But if you were to take away those littles and had the rug, the couch, the dining table, you know we didn't have vases, we didn't have things on the wall. You could take that house and put the next two layers and make it mid-century modern, make it ultra modern, make it shabby chic. So, and I think that's a helpful tip too, if like you're preparing your house to sell maybe. A lot of people feel very personal about their home. And uh, for someone like a realtor to come in and say, you know, this isn't going to sell like this. They're not they're not going to buy you. They need to buy the house. So like take down your live, laugh, loves. Take down your family pictures. They need to see themselves there, not how you saw yourself there. And that that should always be your base. So that's that. It's just nice, clean, like neutral couch, neutral rug, neutral walls, and then make it you on top of that. And then anything you're doing to make it you is super easy to switch out.
0: And you can like bring it with you easily.
1: Yes. You know, like if
0: you all of those things that make a house really special, those are things that you don't have to leave when you move. And yes. yeah, that's so, oh, that's so helpful. That's so good. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about, I, I don't know what even to call like the overall umbrella. Would you say like real estate investing? Is that a good Probably, way to- yeah. Yeah. Like good umbrella? Yeah. I know that, you know, like we said, every HGTV show has to do with some version of this. You know, there's like- mm-hmm you know, flipping a house or, you know, doing an Airbnb like you guys are doing right now or buying a rental property. What are some things that you want people to know who are yeah. who are considering this?
1: I have um, a really good episode with this guy, Michael, um, that'll be coming out in a couple weeks that people should definitely listen to because it's very specific about the Airbnb model. And Um, what him and his wife did to become financially independent. They had a 10-year plan. They did it in two years. So super interesting that we literally talked for a whole hour, so I can't go into a ton of it right now. But I mean, when I started, I bought my first house right out of college. And my thought was, okay, my other friends are going to rent something. They're not buying right out of college. So my friends rented from me. So I had a mortgage, but I never paid it. Their rent covered it. So if you have the opportunity to do that, if you can finance a home or get um you know a loved one to co-sign on your first property where you can live in it at that age before you know you're getting married and having kids or you know just not wanting roommates anymore, kind of like that young fun time that I'm way past, um Fair. do that. <laughs> Buy something um that works for you, that works for you to maybe start that next step to, of your life in. So Maybe I'm not going to have roommates. I'm getting a little more professional. I'm going to have a significant other in this space, so it's not just you know a two-year plan, three-year plan, um, and then get a couple of roommates and cover your mortgage. That way, you are not just paying rent in an apartment where you have no equity being made. Um, so that's what I did with my first house, and you know owned it for like two and a half years, had the mortgage covered, and then sold it and made you know like thirty thousand. But if you're past the point, you know, age-wise where you're like, you know, I'm I'm 30, I'm 32, I'm not really going to have roommates right now. Now, for me, what's the next step? I think the market demand for properties with income properties attached to them has really boomed post-COVID. So I think people renovating, I know I am trying to meet that need more. So as many of our properties that it makes sense... Trying to have a space that can be locked off as an income-producing unit. So buy a home that um, has a carriage house over the garage, or has you know a, a bedroom, bathroom on the back of the house that has a separate entrance, or could have a separate entrance. That way, you're you know you're taking care of your housing as well as being able to bring an in income from this outside source. And then, I mean, the third option really is just kind of purely buying an investment property. When my husband and I started, so we, my husband and I have a different business model than Two Chicks and a Hammer. Two Chicks and a Hammer can't really afford to buy and hold. We buy, we renovate, we sell, and that money goes to do it again. Okay. Whereas my husband's, you know, background is property management. We've always wanted to have a small portfolio. So, you know, the first home, <laughs> we actually got we got kind of lucky, but went kind of big. We bought a package of four properties for $250,000. Oh um, and we inherited a lot of renters and we just kind of, we let them be. You know, they were, our quadplexes rented for $500 a unit. So, you know, we now since have renovated the units and they rent anywhere between $1,200 and $1,400. Okay. But at the time, this money went out and we had money coming in. And as the tenants decided to move on... Unfortunately, a couple of them moved on because they passed because they'd been there for so long. Um, We would fix up that unit and then raise the rent and be able to rent it for $1,200 or $1,400. So even if you're just doing that with one property, if you're starting, I would really try to get something that you're not going to have a whole lot of maintenance on. Because the thing that I hate about property management is dealing with tenants. um, And that's mostly maintenance issues, you know, we get things like, can you come change my smoke alarm batteries? And I'm like, good God. I don't know what to do about this generation that's coming into the workforce. It's terrifying. <laughs> come on, people. It is yeah.
0: so annoying. Why do they... Oh, okay, here's a side note question. Mina, I need to know if you know the answer to this. Why do they always die at like three o'clock in the morning?
1: I don't know. I oh, Maybe that's just when someone found... Uh, I don't know. Well, Sue, so I know... Let me back up. First, I thought you were talking about humans. We're talking about batteries. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe that's when someone found them dead. I don't know. The batteries. No batteries. <laughs> so the problem is that's when they die. And then you just continue the cycle by changing them at three in the morning. I think. I don't yes. know how batteries work, but that seems to make sense to me. So like you start the new life of this battery and the battery has... You know, whatever many hours, and then it dies again at three a.m. Oh my but it gosh! Is. And it and it's always like the
0: super high ones that you're like, yes. I can't read. Yeah, I don't have a yes. lot the- of. Oh, and they're so loud; they like we are
1: crazy making. Yeah, okay. Yes, okay. they scare the crap out of my mastiff. He cowers like someone is beating him
0: because of the they bee- are they're terrible. They're yes. like truly their own form of torture. Yes, um, they are. Okay, so going back, what were we talking about?
1: Um. Okay maintenance issues. Oh, yes. So, I mean f- find something that's if you're not living in the home if you know, you've got your place, you're trying to find a true investment property. I think the the two best kind of directions to go are are you going to really focus on that young crowd that's coming out of college and you can probably get away with something a little bit more affordable that's not quite as done up, that's not quite as nice, or there's a really good market for that higher end like business Person renter, where you're going to spend more money up front, you're going to have a nicer product, but you're going to also get a higher rent. Um, And when Steve and I started, all of ours were long term rentals because the lift on that seemed manageable for us. Like we don't want to have to deal with flipping them and you know putting furniture in them. If you have that time and that money up front to you know stage a house for thirty thousand dollars, that is the short term rental market is booming. And, you know, for example, this two-bedroom unit we used to rent for $1,000 a month. You know, we got at the bathroom, fixed up the bathroom. It's two bedrooms, one bath. Um, it will comfortably sleep six. And we right now have it, you know, listed for, I don't know, like 115 But let's round down. 100 bucks a night. You know, if it was rented every night, you're looking at $3,000. But even if it's only rented at 50%, the average is about 78%. If even if it's rented at 50%, you're looking at $1,500 versus that 1000 So okay. if you are cool with a little bit more of a lift um, and have the time to do that, then the short-term model is a good one as well. The reason that we are doing this one right now is to just kind of diversify and see if we like that model. So yeah. starting on a small property that's not taking an obscene amount of money to stage and just kind of having a little bit of both. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Um, What about financing Mm -hmm. things? Where do we start? Because we're like, we're sitting here being like, okay, we know that $200,000 for a quadplex is like not a lot, but also like, I think very few of us have $200,000 just like sitting in our bank account.
1: Exactly. And um, I mean, obviously we're not in a great interest rate time in the market, um, but banks will always take your money. So uh, there are so many different loan options. Um, there are construction loan options that are kind of that kind of uh, generally fall into two buckets. There's like the big ones that are like two or three K construction loans where you can buy a house and you can loop in the construction costs with them. And you're going to be doing like structural changes and big things like that. And then there's simpler ones where you're going to roll in construction costs to redo the kitchen or redo the bathroom. But it's not... Really, where they draw the line, I think, is that structural component. Um, So you can do loans that way. And usually the way it works is we built my headquarters with one like that. Um, And so it's a construction loan for the length of the construction. And then it rolls into a mortgage of your choice. So a 30-year, a 15-year, a 7-year adjustable rate, whatever that looks like. So, I mean, that's a really good way to leverage money. And then by the time it's rolled into the way it usually works is while you're under construction, you're just paying that interest payment. So you're not actually paying any to the principal, uh, which, you know, bummer, you're not paying down your principal. But once it rolls, once you're done with construction, once you're done with the refresh and it rolls into a mortgage, theoretically, at that time, you have money coming in to cover that mortgage. Okay.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Where do you like
1: go to say like who do you, who do you call to say hi can i have a construction loan or <laughs> like the, the place to start um i think i would recommend anyone is with your bank because they know your finances they have your history and that's going to be your best bet to be able to get approved for a loan some of the smaller banks don't do those kind of loans but 9 times out of 10 they'll have someone they can refer you out to also with social media um uh, you know in your friend group there's likely to be someone who's like looked into it or knows someone who does it and uh, there's like with anything else, shop around because you might be able to get a better rate from one company or you know, uh, not even just a better interest rate, but your period before you have to start repayment could be better those mm-hmm. kind of things. So I would also recommend trying to talk to at least two lenders, two banks um to see what that situation is. There's also hard money loans, which just means, it's like a cash loan. It's like you coming to me and saying, I would like a loan. How can we structure it? And I, I'm not a bank, but I lend you cash with a certain type of repayment. Usually that has higher interest rates attached, um, but that's another option as well. Because it, usually the people would go to hard money loan because they need it quick or you know the, the credit that a bank would pull necessarily isn't there for a loan. But the individual you might go to has a different risk tolerance, a different you know level of what they are willing to loan money on. And they're mm-hmm. probably going to charge you a higher interest rate than Bob if your credit score is worse, but it'll get the job done. Yeah. Okay. What's something if you could go back and talk to yourself, like,
0: well, I want to do two different times because I know that you started this a long time ago. I know you started this right out of college. But so I want to say, see, what would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your real estate career right out of college? And like, what would you tell yourself maybe like as a 30-year-old?
1: Yeah, I think when I started, um, I did buy my first house with a loan and the total amount was like $140,000. But I knew like I had a plan going in. I had roommates. I knew the rent I was going to get. When I started actually investing, like when I bought my first house that was an an investment, I used cash. So I think, rewinding a little bit, the younger you can start saving, the better. I took a business law class at IU. um, It was either my sophomore or junior year. And they taught us about the different IRA options. And I immediately opened an IRA. I immediately um, started investing in a mutual fund. And even if it's 20 bucks a month, just do it. So I had invested, I don't know, like 15000 in my mutual fund. And this was you know, going into 2008 when everything crashed. And so by the time I wanted to buy this first house, I had $42,000 in this mutual fund. And it was the hardest thing ever for me to take it out because I was like, but it's grown. And I took it out right before the market tanked. And I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> and I had only cash in this house. So for me... My risk tolerance, I didn't want to take a loan. I don't like having money out there that I don't have. And I operated that way for a long time. It was probably only six years ago that we started working with uh, a bank and we have an equity line on the properties. So you know, usually about half the construction cost is covered and then it gets paid back when we sell it, all that kind of thing. But I... I, So I'm, I'm kind of torn because I think there's a time and place to leverage money in a a lending capacity. Um, Like my personal home mortgage, we refinanced at two and a half percent like a year ago. Mm -hmm. And every inch of me wants to pay extra on that principal every month and pay it off in three years. Uh But my interest rate is lower than inflation. So it doesn't make sense to put my extra cash there. It makes sense to put my extra cash somewhere that it can be utilized better. So really thinking through how to use money, when to leverage it in a loan, when to not do it if you can't do it with cash. I actually saw something um, on Instagram yesterday that is obviously not applicable across the board. But I think a good rule of thumb, if you can't afford to buy it twice, don't buy it once. So if you want that Ferrari, if you can't afford to buy it twice, you shouldn't be buying it now. And... Mm -hmm even if you're gonna buy it anyways, I think it's a good thing to ask yourself to like think about because I think we tend to overspend as, as, as a nation mm-hmm. and don't have enough of a nest egg. Like I think our parents' generations, the boomer generation, maybe were better about that. Yeah. But I still drive my 2009 Suburban. It's paid off. I'm gonna drive her till she dies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw my Insta story last week. I had to climb in the window because the electrical Ugh. is crazy. And I don't care. I don't yeah. care. I purposely leave the window down Because I know my electrical just goes out sometimes and I can't unlock the door. (laughs) (laughs) Climbed in the window. So, you know, I would love a new Suburban, but I'm not going to pay $80,000 for it. And I don't want a car loan. And so just really trying to be more mindful about your decision and what you want in the long term. So enjoying your life now and being able to enjoy it later. Like Really just thinking more about those financial decisions and I guess the last thing would be like I'm 38. So I'm a little probably older than most of your listeners. But if I had been able to figure out the balance earlier, I think I would have I would be a little less like crazy, honestly. Um, you know, my kids are two and four now, and I'm really at the point now where I'm like, okay, I need to stop and I really need to reassess because, you know, they don't just say it, you know. But it goes so fast. They're growing up so fast, and they're not going to want to hang out with me in ten years, yeah. So in ten years, I can, you know, you know, pedal to the metal, grind again until yeah. they're adults and then want to hang out with me again. Yep. but you know, just setting your life up each step for what you want to be able to do in the next two years. And my husband and I reassess about every four or five months, we sit down and we're like, what are we doing that we like? What are we doing that we don't like? Are we meeting our needs? Are we meeting our kids' needs? Do we need more time together? Um, do we need to be able to budget for more vacations because we need more family time and just yeah. continually reassessing? I love that so much. That is, you are speaking
0: my language so much there. <laughs> my girls are two. When is your, when's your daughter's birthday? Charlie turns three in September and Jack is five in August. Okay, my girls are two months younger
1: than yours. okay. That's so fun! Yeah, um, it's a fun age. Charlie's crazy. Yeah. I mean, she she's my favorite. She's a little me, but she is bad. Shit. <laughs> they are so the things that they say
0: on a regular basis. Like I just like I can't take notes fast enough. It's no. just absolutely wild.
1: No, um, I used to go back and like um, screen record my um, security camera. Uh huh. And I, I, we had to update it. And I haven't been able to get back in for like six months because I haven't taken the time. But I'm like, oh my God, there's so many moments. I like, wish I had I had on camera. that they
0: do. Yeah, yesterday, my so my nerd are twins. And uh, Quinn was crying at the end of her nap. And we're like, what's wrong with her? Like, why is she upset? And we go in and we're like, oh, because you took your socks off and handed them to Annie and she put them on her hands and you wanted them back. That's mm-hmm. why cr- Quinn was yes, crying. Yeah, yeah obviously. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Um, okay, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is um you have been sharing this journey and your life really for almost eight seasons now. Mm-hmm. What has that been like for you? Like what how has how has HGTV and you know this, I guess like spotlight
1: been? How has it been? I from the beginning. I I am, my mom and I both, we are outliers in the fact that it never felt weird. But I've kind of always, like, I have a really big family. It's very crazy. It's very hectic. It was always like, nothing's ever mine. It's always shared. Um, Even when I went, you know, was in the dorms in college, my door was always unlocked. My car keys were by the door. Like, people would borrow my car. They would come and go. So it's just, that's kind of always been my vibe. So it was like, okay, here's more cool people that are just hanging (laughs) around and they happen to have cameras on their shoulders. And we didn't have a break between seasons. They've always overlapped since season three. So it's just been go, go, go. And really lately, it's been the first time I've been able to slow down a bit and reflect. And it's it's crazy in so many ways. In the coolest ways, in the in the hardest ways, and the most like painful growth ways. But we've had most of the same production team the whole time. So not only have these people seen me get engaged, get married, have a baby, go through infertility, have a second baby, you know, just all all those struggles and they've had babies. Their lives have changed. My producer moved here. You know, like he had he had another kid when they moved here. All these things that we've been part of each other's lives in this way that is just very unique. Um because it's like coworkers, but I mean I spend more time with them than I do with my family. Um yeah. and it's just so interesting the dynamic that it creates. It's a double-edged sword having the show. It creates a platform that I can use in so many ways. And you know, some people like them, some people don't, but it definitely I you know, I kind of went into it knowingly that it was going to be hard. This I, so the best the best piece of advice I got before starting to film I think it was after the pilot, but our very first network executive who's not with the network anymore. She has her own production company. She's an amazing human. She came to Indy and I remember sitting in my mom's living room and she was like, look, I've done this a million times. I've made a million shows. I've seen a a million people succeed. I've seen more of them fail. And this is what happens when they fail. It's like what you guys need to remember is this show is not about you. This show has nothing to do with you. So... The people who love you because they've seen you on the show, they don't love you. They love the version of you that they're seeing on TV. And the people that hate you and troll you don't hate you because they don't know you. They hate the version of you that they're seeing on TV. So if you can remember that none of this has anything to do with you, you can keep your head on straight. And when you're in a position like this, you know, across the board, obviously, when you're in the spotlight for everything, when you have people around you telling you you're doing a great job and you're beautiful and you're smart and you are build great health, it's hard to keep a level head. And that is a piece of advice that has stuck with me for eight seasons and really why I wanted to do the podcast. Because while I have been very open about everything, uh, it's it's a very limited platform, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and the podcast let's me go deeper into a lot of the things that i think people want to talk more about and also just kind of because of my upbringing i you know i have very few boundaries so i'm comfortable talking about the things that are uncomfortable and for better or worse i i'm a vessel that is safe for people
0: what are you are you working on anything right now i mean i
1: guess season 8 that yeah. you're excited about? Um. Oh gosh. I mean, so the our our brick and mortar store here. Um. We just closed for a week and did like a big refresh. So the yeah. store is always exciting. I don't know if your mother in law's been there, but no, we have the same. I was just same, gonna say we not- have stuff that Anthro carries, like same vendors. I'll go there and I'm like, this cost two dollars and they're selling it for forty. Oh, so my. we've got a lot of the same stuff for way better prices. We don't mark up as high. So tell her goodbye.
0: Yes, I cannot believe. Yeah. Okay. We're. Uh, I'm trying to think of the next time I'm going to be in Indy.
1: Yeah. You guys have to come. We're time. we're just downtown in Bates Hendricks. So the okay. store is always you know getting reimagined. Um, the podcast is obviously new. We've only. Um, I mean, I've probably recorded twenty episodes. Seven are out. Um, so that's you know new and exciting. And we're at a point with the show where. Uh, This is the first time in a long time our seasons aren't overlapping. So we're really um, at an amazing place where we have this opportunity to kind of work, all work together, the production company, the network and say, what do we want this next one to be like? Instead of just diving right in like we've done every season. Um, It's been really hard to maintain that pace. So uh, it's, it's it's a fun time figuring out what the next you know, the next season, the next iteration, the next year, the next five years are going to look like. And then also, I mean, it's been a conversation probably since season four, like, you know, eventually the show will end. And what is Two Chicks and a Hammer after that? Because Two Chicks and a Hammer before the show did two homes a year. And it was my side gig. I waited tables. Um, So now with the new platform that I have, what do A, what do I want to do? And where does that overlap with what financially makes sense to do? You know, the store is great. If at some point it doesn't financially make sense, I don't need a store for my ego. So the store may not be a thing. (laughs) But it's, you know, it's a big question mark right now, which is scary and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Mina, do you have any
0: just last encouragement? Try this, do this, don't do this for women who are wanting to either make their own space more beautiful and feel more like them
1: or who are wanting to start like investing more? I think, I mean, I think we can be our own biggest hurdles, worst enemies because you get in your head. And I think particularly as women, we have a lot of self-doubt. We have a lot of guilt about doing what we want to do. Like you should always be doing what is best for the family or the company or anyone but us. So just really understanding that, again, cheesy, but you can't pour from an empty cup. Like do the thing you need to do to be in a good place. And then everything else, you'll have to work for it, but it will come easier. I go get a massage every two weeks, like clockwork. That's the only thing I do for myself. (laughs) And I feel terrible about it every time I do it. I feel Uh terrible. I feel guilty. I feel like a jerk. No one else is doing this. And I do it. Because I keep reminding myself, this is all I do. This is it, okay? This is my happy place. So whether that's, you know, your pedicure makes you feel like you get your head on straight, do that. And then just kind of like get out of your own way. Make sure you have a support structure around you. So if you fail, you fail and learn something instead of failing and not being able to come back from it. Um, And I think that will help you feel more comfortable taking those risks. Because real estate is a risk. Um, yeah. Investing is a risk no matter how you do it. So feeling confident in yourself and your decision to do it, but also feeling confident in the people you surround yourself that if you hit a road bump, you're going to be cool. You're going to be okay. You're going to work through it and you're not going to have to do it on your own.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I love that. You guys, Nina, the best. Um, if you guys don't follow her, go do that. If you haven't seen Good Bones... Go watch it. There, I love that there are so many seasons because then you can binge it, and you, you can, can just binge. Yeah, you can just get in and hang out for a while. My
1: brother just started watching Risky Business. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law in California. I'm like, that was two years ago, bro. And he's texting me. He's like, this contractor's terrible. I want to punch him in the face. You're like, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. hmm mm-hmm. I had. I uh, just
0: had uh, my husband. He's the only guy who comes on Girls Night, but he just came on the show last week, and he at the beginning was like, long time listener. First, first time, time call or whatever. Yes. But I was like, that is a lie. You do not listen to my podcast. And that's yes. like pretty much the rule. If you love me in my life, you you very rarely listen to the show. Like,
1: cool well, guys. <laughs> I feel like it's that way. It. Everyone yeah. outside of my family thinks I'm really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well, oh,
0: that's how you're God. like, that's how you know. That's how yeah. you know you're loved. Stay <laughs> humble. Yeah. Keep your head on straight. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is it would mean so much to me if you would take just a second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our Girls' Nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you so much to all of you who've left those beautiful five-star reviews already. I can't tell you how much it means to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. And I have to tell you, you are going to love this next one. I'll see you then.